Acts chapter 4, we're considering what it means to be a church in action. Remember in chapter 3 that God, through Peter and John, while at the temple, as they come to the beautiful gate, they look upon a crippled man, a beggar, and they, this man, he's been lame from birth, right? Peter says, silver and gold have I none. Such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Peter takes him by the right hand, lifts him up immediately. His feet, his ankle bones receive strength. He he stands up, he leaps up, and then he goes walking and leaping and praising God throughout the temple grounds. Naturally, this caused a stir. And so a great multitude of people are now pressing to see this miracle that has taken place for this man. They all knew him. They all knew where he he was at. He was there daily. And they all want to see this miracle that was a result of a man putting his faith in Christ. And as this crowd begins to press and, and gather and... Peter senses an opportunity, and Peter decides, I need to address the crowd. Of course, he's being led by the Holy Spirit, and he begins to preach to the multitude there. He preaches Christ to them. He lets them know of their sin, and he says, this man has been made whole Because of Christ, I'm paraphrasing. This man has been made whole because of of Christ. Wait a minute. Just two months earlier, they put Christ to death. Of course, he willingly laid down his life, but even Peter says, you killed the prince of life. And so a dead man's not going to be able to do this miracle. And Peter's letting him know, look, Jesus is alive. The man who stands before you whole... It's because he's been healed by the man that you thought was a deceiver and a liar. And then he goes on to attach Jesus to the covenant that God made with Abraham. He he talks about how Jesus was the prophet that Moses foretold of. and, And he says, you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophets from Samuel on. And Peter says to the men of Israel... Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. And in the last verse of chapter 3, Peter says, Unto you first, God having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. What a message. He, He shows them clearly the gospel. It's a convicting message But then he gives the hope of forgiveness of sins, the blessings of God through Jesus Christ. Surely nobody could be offended at such a message as this. Surely everyone around them is going to confess their sins, embrace Christ as their Savior, and gloriously be converted. Surely the apostles are going to now be recognized as True men of God, 
preaching the truth. And surely the church is going to experience great peace and rest. Uh, Look at verses 1 through 3 of Acts chapter 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. And so as Peter preaches his message that Jesus is alive and therefore the Holy One of Israel, Peter is telling them how Jesus had come to bless them by turning them away from their sins. And in verse 1, as they spake unto the people, they have security called on them. Security shows up to shut them down. And though Peter is the only one mentioned as speaking in chapter 3, apparently Peter and John both spake unto the people because this verse says they were speaking unto the people. So either both were preaching or they're this um, temple guard here has now interrupted the altar call and they're dealing with people. (laughs) They're answering questions. They're instructing those who are seeking for more. Whatever the case is, this church service, if you will, this church service is now being interrupted and forcibly shut down. I can remember when that would have been unthinkable in America. But then COVID-19 happened. We saw churches in other states being forced to Close their doors. Law enforcement officers posting themselves outside of churches to prevent people from going in. You say, well, that must have been in Massachusetts or somewhere. No, that was in Louisiana. We saw law enforcement shutting down drive-in services in other states. We saw some pastors being arrested. Oh, man. If only you knew the weight that was on my shoulders at that time. And I'll get to that here in a minute. You need to be praying for your pastor. We saw pastors being arrested for preaching the gospel. In America. Not preachers out on the street. Preachers in the church house being arrested. In Canada, we even witnessed authorities entering churches as they were having services and shutting them down. Why would God allow this? And listen, I thank God for every pastor that said, we ain't closing. Why would God allow this? Because there are times in history when God needs to purge and strengthen the church through tribulations in order for us to get our eyes back on the main thing and that's doing the Father's business. But, but the point I want to make here first in our context is that the true preaching of the gospel enrages Satan. It upsets the enemy. The devil hates it because gospel preaching threatens his influence in the world. William Burkett, he noted this, No wonder then that he raises all the powers of hell and stirs up all his instruments on earth to stop the mouths of the preachers of the gospel. Make no mistake about it. Preaching and holding church services is spiritual warfare. 
The devil wants to disrupt and shut down all true churches who are preaching the blood of Christ. But Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And so I would say in in all humility, because the text has led us to this point, are you praying for your preacher? When's the last time you earnestly prayed for your pastor? Or do you just show up for services? Listen, we all need prayer. Do you bathe our services in prayer? This is spiritual warfare, and part of the armor of God is praying for all the saints. So I'll add to this, taking advantage of this point, are you praying for our teachers, our preachers, our singers, our instrumentalists, our van ministry workers, our printer, our press director, our workers, our academy, and its staff? Or is about the far as your prayer life gets, Lord, we thank you for the food. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Satan wants to shut the mouths of God's messengers as we see here in chapter 4. He wants to snatch away the seed of God's Word so that it doesn't enter the heart of those who are listening. He wants to stop our press from printing. He wants our academy to stop educating. Listen, I don't say this for pity, but you may not understand this, but when I step down from here, I'm exhausted. Because I have been in the, in the trenches. And maybe you have to preach to understand that. I don't know. I need your prayers. All who give the Word of God, no matter the venue, need your prayers. Take time to pray for those who stand in the pulpit, in the classrooms, in the various capacities that our church has because Satan is relentless. And he hates Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. He hates Lighthouse Baptist Press. He hates Liberty Baptist Academy. And while I encourage you to pray, we won't be interrupted or shut down. We see in our text that God does allow this at times. And so I want you to get this. The prayer isn't so much for that, but the prayer is more for the strength to continue when the attacks come. The prayer is that people will press on in the face of opposition. And in verse 1, we see the ones who are responsible for shutting down what's taking place. It is the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. The priests were the Levitical priests who were divided up into 24 groups. And each group had charge over the temple in succession for one week at a time beginning on a Sabbath. And the heads of the groups were known as the chief priest. These priests had always been against Jesus. There are two opinions on who the captain of the temple is referring to here. 
Some hold this would have been Roman guards who were positioned at the Tower of Antonia, which was located on the temple grounds. I tend to agree with the thought that this was a guard made up of Levites, the captain of the temple being the superintendent of the guard of priests who kept watch in the temple, especially by night. And we see, I don't know if I've read it yet, but we will see that it's eventide. Yeah, the end of verse 3. And so they're getting ready to post their watches. And he would do all the rounds, making sure all the guards are doing their job. Some believe this is the, the group that Pilate was referring to when the chief priest and the Pharisees asked Pilate, secure the sepulcher. Because he said he would rise again and we're afraid his disciples are going to come at night and take the body away. But Pilate said unto them in Matthew 27, 65, Ye have a watch. Go your way, make it as sure as ye can. The belief is that watch would have been this group of people. The last one mentioned in verse 1 is the Sadducees. Don't worry, I'm not going there. The Sadducees did not believe in the immortality of the soul. And therefore, they did not believe in a resurrection. This is what they're known for in the Gospels. I mean, it's clear. The religious groups in Israel, they were like political factions. It's interesting how the politicians pander certain religious groups. It's also interesting that gas is going down now that we're approaching the midterms. But anyway... I said the word politics, and now I'm already going there. All right, let's focus. There were the Herodians, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. But Jesus, he's the great fork in the road, right? You have to make a decision when you come to Jesus. And, and so Jesus is the decision point, And they have to decide whether they're going to accept Christ or reject Christ, the agreed rejection of Christ unites those together who were once enemies. Did I make sense with that? Those who were once at odds over here, once they now have a common enemy in Christ, they're now united. Let me put this where you can understand it. Husband and wife hate each other until they have somebody else to hate. And now they're buddies. It's just amazing. I don't know if you're laughing because you know, like that's your marriage, or if you're laughing because you know somebody else is like that. All right, well, early on in Jesus' ministry, we see in Mark 3, 6 that the Pharisees and the Herodians were once at odds. But because they both didn't like Jesus, they come together and they take counsel together on how they might destroy Jesus. And out of these three politically motivated religious groups, the Sadducees were the slowest group to become hostile against Jesus, but eventually they did. And I want to give you just a little bit of background, if you'll, if you'll indulge me, bear with me, about the Sadducees so you can better understand why this is taking place in the beginning of chapter 4. So there was a power struggle 
between the Pharisees and the Sadducees within Israel. The Sadducees were a wealthy, they were well-off to do, they, they were people of great influence, and because of their status, they viewed themselves as upper class. And as upper class people, they didn't want to be bothered with the commoners, with the common man. Therefore, the Sadducees, they didn't care much for the synagogues. The synagogues were where the Pharisees taught the common man religious things. And the Sadducees looked at the synagogues that really really began to crop up between Malachi and Matthew. And, and they looked at the synagogues as the place of, ah, we, don't, we don't want to bother with that because that's the common man. Even though the Sadducees disagreed with the Pharisees' teachings, they didn't mind conceding control of the synagogues and the marketplaces over to the Pharisees. The Sadducees, they were setting their sights higher. They wanted something more than just the, the common man and the synagogues and the marketplaces. They wanted the temple. They wanted control over the temple. And even though they were a smaller group, they, they were very powerful. And so they end up being successful in achieving taking over the temple. Now, why did they want the temple? Because the temple was the cash cow. They abused the temple for their own monetary gain. And this is why the Sadducees were always so agreeable to the Romans. They didn't want anything disrupting their relationship with the Romans because they didn't want the Romans to shut down everybody coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast from all over the empire, bringing in their money. Because the Sadducees had rigged a system where if you come to the temple, you have to exchange your money for temple currency, and they were ripping you off on the exchange rate. And so they were always very buddy-buddy uh, with the Romans. Now all the religious Jews, they were concerned about the Romans coming in and taking away their city and their temple. And it was Caiaphas. Remember that name? Caiaphas was a Sadducee. He was the high priest who said to all the other religious elites after Lazarus was raised again, over in John eleven forty nine 49 through 50, Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And when you read that, it sounds like he's, he's excited about the Messiah coming and dying for the people. That's not what Caiaphas was saying at all. That's not what he meant. That's how God would use it. But that's not what he meant. Caiaphas is saying, look, we better take care of Jesus and take Him out because He's starting to stir up trouble. And if He stirs up enough trouble, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to take this all away from us. So it is, it is expedient for us that one man die rather than we lose our entire nation. Caiaphas wanted Jesus dead because he feared an uproar would draw the attention of the Romans. And if the Romans came in, that has now threatened Caiaphas' pay, his payroll. 
Listen, money is the root of all evil. And by the end of John chapter 11, they're making plans to kill Jesus. And why did a Sadducee say this after the resurrection of Lazarus? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> and, and now you have a man who was once dead, raised again, walking around. That's kind of problematic if you don't believe in the resurrection. And by John chapter 12, the chief priests who were made up of the Sadducees, they consult to put, uh, those who consulted to put Lazarus to death too, what they end up doing, sorry, not by John chapter 12, but by the time that Jesus is resurrected and the Romans come, the Roman soldiers who were stationed at his tomb come to the, uh, come to Caiaphas and they, or to the chief priests and they say, the chief priests tell them, here, we'll pay you to keep your mouth shut. All you have to do is say that his disciples came and took him away by night. And if you get any heat, we'll take care of it. We'll make sure you're good to go. Why was it the chief priest doing that? Because Jesus rising again threatened their doctrine. And they had a stranglehold there at the temple. So, knowing all this, when Peter and John are at the temple preaching the resurrection of Jesus, they are teaching contrary to the Sadducees who just happened to run the place. Which is why verse 2 says, the Sadducees were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so, we can understand why this would enrage the Sadducees. And this is why they felt, we cannot allow this to continue. But also remember from chapter 3, the people were being filled with wonder and amazement. They're, they're seeing this miracle upon the crippled man. They're running to great, uh, together, greatly wondering. And so, as, as you can picture this in your mind, possibly, there within the, the temple walls, this mass of people beginning to rush in one direction, it may have had the appearance of an uprising. And, and if that was the case, the Romans eventually are going to notice there is a, a ruckus up at the temple. And that could shut down the whole temple, or even worse, just take the nation away from Israel. And therefore, cutting off the cash flow. And so, the Sadducees were very sensitive to anything that might disturb their peace, threaten their lifestyle and their income, destroy the status that they enjoyed. They wanted and they needed to keep good relations with the Romans. And so, Peter preaches this great message saying, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Over in chapter 3. And he tells them how God sent Jesus to bless you. He wants to turn you away from your iniquities. But instead of being well received, they're arrested. Instead of being praised, they were persecuted. And this is now just the clouds building of persecution. Of, of the storm that is about to be unleashed on this early church. Verse 3 says, And they laid hands on them and put them in hold un, unto the next day, for it was now eventide. In verse 1, they came upon them, which means they rushed in violently and forcibly. And here when they lay their hands on them, it's also forcible, forceful terminology. 
In verse 2, when it says the Sadducees were grieved that they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the Greek word for grieved right there is only used in one other passage. It's a unique word that goes beyond just regular sorrow, but it, is, it suggests that they are annoyed and they are upset about these men teaching what they did, what they taught. They're mad that they had the audacity to come into temple grounds and preach that this man has risen again. And I'm telling you this because this wasn't a polite interruption. It's not, it's not like they, they just kind of... <clears throat> hey, can you guys just keep it down? No, no, listen. They're coming in with great force. They got armed guards. They're coming in meaning business. And if you don't believe that, listen, they just put Christ to death. And, and, and we're not far away from the cross. And so they're coming in, they're upset, they're ready to do business. And they put their own vested interest ahead of hearing the truth. And what we find is a church in action will face seasons of persecution. And they will agitate the religious, political factions and strongholds in their city. At least to some extent. I could give you stories during COVID. Now, this isn't to say we go looking for trouble. But this event here, it comes about simply by obeying God. All they're doing is going into all the world and preaching the gospel, beginning at Jerusalem. They're just simply obedient. Now, get this. Peter and John are not being persecuted because they identify as Christians. Don't miss this in all of this. They're not being persecuted because they said, you know what, we believe Moses, we believe the covenant with Abraham, we believe the prophets. It's not because they were trying to live right for God. It's not because they went down to the pub and you know, no, we just can't. Listen, they're not being persecuted because they loved God and they loved their neighbors. But they are being persecuted and arrested because they are bold and outspoken witnesses for Christ. And you have to understand that here. They are in the power of the Holy Spirit. They are calling people out for their sinfulness against God. They are bringing people to a decision point about repentance towards God and, and faith in Christ. And people are not persecuted because they identify as a Christian. People aren't persecuted because they decide to live morally. But you will become persecuted when you decide to be fervent, Spirit-filled witnesses for Christ trying to carry out the Great Commission. That's why you're not persecuted in here. Listen, I know it's hot. Stay awake. That's why you're not persecuted in here. But you go outside of here and you go downtown and you begin to preach this message and let's see how well you're received. Now we see in our text, persecution has come as a result of being faithful to God not from being unfaithful. Persecution isn't punishment for waywardness, but persecution is reward for faithfulness. Reward? 
Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we see that persecution often comes at the hands of the religious people. Listen, the folks in the bars tonight really don't care that we're here. It's the religious people who think they are something that start taking an issue. It is those who are religiously indifferent. The the ones that are persecuting Peter and John are not the ones who are religiously indifferent. But they are the religious elites in Israel. Let 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 me put it this way. This is the Catholic Church during the Dark Ages persecuting those who were baptizing adults because they placed their faith and trust in Christ. All right, you understand what I'm saying? This is, this is religion persecuting true Christianity here. And we know that Paul suffered persecution from the religious Jews. Galatians 5.11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? What's he saying? If I'm agreeing with the religious people, why are they persecuting me? Now, Jesus had forewarned His disciples that this day would begin to happen to them in their lifetime. Jesus said, many will come claiming to be Christ. You'll hear of wars and commotions. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights. Then Jesus said in Luke 21, 12 and 13, but before all these, before we get into nation rising against nation, wars and commotions, Before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. And throughout the book book of Acts, we'll see Jesus' prophecy being fulfilled. And Jesus was really teaching all, all of us who would be obedient as faithful believers to expect persecution because He was persecuted. John 15, 18-20, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And one last thought about persecution from this set of verses. It comes from verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And so we find that persecution, it produces more good than it does harm. It's another Christian paradox. It's hard to grasp sometimes how persecution can be a good thing. 
But over the course of time, it becomes evident how God was using that persecution for His honor and His glory. We'll see later in the book of Acts when Stephen is persecuted, the believers are scattered throughout the world preaching the gospel. And God would also use that same event to grip the heart of a man who was leading the stoning against Stephen. And God would get a hold of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul would be saved and later become the Apostle Paul. God was using persecution. And truly, God's ways are past finding out. He moves in ways that we don't always understand in the immediacy of the moment. But we can trust He has a greater purpose in store. And God will never waste persecution. And lastly tonight, I would like for you to notice from verse 4, that while the preacher... This is good. Listen, the whole thing's good. I don't care if you're sleeping or not. This is a good message, all right? Um, <laughs> I have to pump myself up. Amen. Listen, while the, while the preachers, Peter and John, are shut up and imprisoned, the Word of God is not. <laughs> this is so good. This is so good. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.9, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. Paul says, man, I'm being treated rough. They've got me locked up. But then he says, but the Word of God is not bound. You see, the Word of God is quick. That means it is alive. It can never be stopped. It can never be locked up. God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. And Peter and John may have been locked up. How be it? Many of them which heard the word believed. God's word is still at work in the hidden places of the heart, even when we aren't. Even when the messenger has been silenced, God's Word is still at work. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 28, Jesus said, So is the kingdom of God. And He says this, As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and he should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, First the blade, then the year after the full corn in the year. So once the seed of God's Word has been planted into the ground of a heart, it begins to go to work. And Peter and John could not save anyone. But God's Word can. And it's an unseen, it's an unknown process. In Daniel Whittle's hymn, I know whom I've believed, he penned these words I know not how this saving faith to me He did impart, nor how believing in His Word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves convincing men of sin, but it was faith, or excuse me, uh, revealing... Oh man, I am off track here. I know not how the Spirit moves convincing me of sin, revealing Jesus through His Word, creating faith in Him. This is awesome. There, listen, we, we could make the argument there, like I said earlier in, in verse 1, they're actually in the midst of preaching. Peter may not have even got through with his sermon. 
and yet they're interrupted, they're forcibly arrested, they dismiss the crowd, but the Word of God has gone forth. And some of the people there might have been, what, what in the world just happened? But the Word of God had been planted, and, and it's beginning to work, it's beginning to germinate, and, and, and now they have heard the Word of God. It, it has reached their heart. And, and notice this, oh man, notice this in verse 4. Many of them which saw, uh, many of them which heard, <laughs> Let me back up. Do you, do you see there? It doesn't say many of them which saw the miracle believed. <laughs> Listen, I was having a spell study and it's starting to come out. Well, many of them that saw the crippled beggar knew that this must be true. Oh, man. Many of them which heard the word Amen. believed. I love, you know, people are like, boy, if, uh, if you would just show me Jesus, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If you're the Son of God, come off that cross and we'll believe you. The rich man in hell. Boy, if you could just send somebody to witness to my brothers, they'd believe. Abraham said, no, listen, they got Moses and the prophets. They've got the Word of God. It wasn't seeing the miracle that converted sinners, but it was faith in God's Word. Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And therefore, I said all that to say this, it is absolutely imperative that you and I, when we're witnessing to people, that we are lacing everything with the Word of God, we are giving the Word of God, we are, are, are just showering that effort with the Word of God. I got a problem in my home. Give the word of God. Somebody comes in for counsel, give them the word of God. Listen, don't get hung up in your opinions. You may have good opinions. Peter and John are imprisoned. God is busy producing a harvest. Sorry, listen, I guess this is good for me because I feel like I get up here and I just pour my guts out to you week after 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 week. After week. And sometimes you wonder, man, is anything happening? You know what God says? I, I, I don't care if you're speaking or not. If you've given the word, it's at work. <laughs> God is producing a harvest. We're told the number who believed was about 5,000. There were 120 followers in Acts chapter 1. 3,000 were added in Acts chapter 2. And now in Acts chapter 3, there are 5,000. Some believe this means the total number of believers was brought up to 5,000, meaning only 2,000 were actually reached this day. <clears throat> but I'm inclined to believe this means an additional 5,000 were added to the church in Jerusalem. And if that's true, this is now a local church running 8,120. You know, I, I just hate big church. and I just I, that, that church got too big. Either way... Whatever this means, 5,000, this is now a mega church. It was a mega church in chapter 3, 2. Where are we at? It was the blessings of God that brought all this about. So don't be guilty of being resistant to a church, church's growth numerically. I want people to hear the message of God's Word. And maybe I'm just prejudiced, but I want them to hear it here. I'll close this out by highlighting that Peter and John did not plan any of this. They are merely faithful, willing vessels. Now look what God can do with 
those who will simply continue steadfastly. God uses those who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, I want God to use my life. Then you better do what God's Word says you need to be doing. And now we need to go out and do likewise. May we be faithful to publish the Word of God, stand in the face of persecution, understanding it's a result of being faithful, not God's punishment. Let's allow the Word of God to work in people's hearts. In other words, you need to let patience have its perfect work sometimes and not be the Holy Ghost and constantly up in somebody's business. And then let's allow God to bring about the harvest as He sees fit. And then church, I would ask you this. Let's embrace the increase. Let's continue steadfastly as willing vessels. Will you pray with me please?